Hello and welcome to the She Mentors podcast. My name is Ali and I'll be bringing you interviews from some of Australia's best female entrepreneurs and women in business. In today's episode, I'll be speaking to Kate Morris. She's the founder of adorebeauty.com.au, which is Australia's longest running online beauty store. And personally, I love this website because it stocks over 200 global beauty brands and it literally has thousands of products and free express delivery. It's won a slew of awards over the years, as has Kate. She's a gender equality activist. She's passionate about empowering women and driving change. Um, She's been named Telstra Young Businesswoman of the Year. She's received the Industry Recognition Award for Online Retail. And she's been inducted into the Australian Business Women's Network Hall of Fame. So she's a pretty big deal. In this chat, we talk about how she started her business, the right time to get funding, how to scale, growing pains, company culture, rejection. And she had quite a bit of that in the early days. And she's not afraid to stand up for what she believes in. And that's what I absolutely love about her. I think she's a huge inspiration and I really hope you enjoy the interview. Hey, thank you so much for being on the She Mentors podcast. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. Um, so Kate, you're the founder of Adore Beauty, which is a really amazing e-commerce website. I shop on there a lot. I love it. Um, for people that maybe aren't familiar with you or Adore Beauty, do you want to just give us a little intro about you and, and, and the brand? Sure. So um, Adore Beauty was founded out of my garage in, well, 18 years ago now, a bit more than that. Um, and so it's Australia's very first and longest running um, online beauty store. We have the best range of brands, I think, in Australia, over 200 brands, over 12,000 products. Um, and we offer free express shipping. Um, we have amazing um, makeup artists and skin therapists and hairdressers on live chat. And really what we're all about is making beauty a lot more democratic. So um, we feel like women deserve to be able to mix and match and make their own decisions about things and really have the best of what's on offer. Mm, I totally agree. Um, and I think the website looks fantastic. And I love that you have the live chat. Um, I feel like it's actually an e-commerce website that has everything you should have as an e-commerce. So obviously, I work in e-commerce as well. And I look to your sure. website as something that we would aspire to be like. So congratulations on that. <laughs> really awesome. When did, you, oh, thank you. when did you start the business? And like, how did you come up with the idea? So you said you started from your garage like, were you working full-time yeah. and had this idea on the side or was this something you were I was on? actually still a uni student. I was actually still a uni student. So I was at Monash um, and I was um, I was actually sort of fumbling my way through an arts degree at the time and had just sort of switched across to doing some more business subjects. And at the same time, my uni job, like just to pay the rent, was working on the clearance counter um, in, you know, they used to send me to different stores. I worked in Meyer and David Jones and Zymaru. And it was, it, I mean, that's, I absolutely loved it, loved the beauty industry, thought it was fantastic, um, but really felt that there was something a bit broken about the way that the beauty industry was treating customers. And I guess I kind of figured that out when, whenever I would tell somebody what I did for my part-time job, they'll kind of pull this face and go, oh, you know, you're one of those scary women behind the counter. Oh, I hate going in there. And I thought, well, is it that? It doesn't make any sense, does it? Because the whole point of beauty products is that they're supposed to make you feel 
confident and fabulous and what's actually happening is that they're making people feel, you know, that, that whole experience of buying them is making people feel the opposite and everyone's ending up with these kind of, you know, cosmetic graveyards of things that you feel like you've been bullied into buying and they just live under your sink because you feel bad about it so you can't throw them out. And um, and it was really, you know, that sort of late 90s that I became aware of online shopping and thought, gosh, someone really needs to do beauty online here in Australia. Like there was there was nobody, there was nobody doing it. And um, I guess I kind of cooked the idea around in my head for a long time and talked about it a lot until my my boyfriend and all my friends said, look, you know, you have to do this for what? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that was honestly, that was the first time I'd ever considered starting my own business. It was not a path that I'd ever picked out for myself mm. before. And so then yeah. did you, how did you go about building it? Like what did you build it on? Like that must have been quite good. Oh, well. look, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, it was pretty much, it was pretty much the stone tablet of websites. It was very, it was a bit rough and ready. Like everything, like back then you couldn't just go and, you know, get Shopify or whatever you had. Everything had to be built from scratch. So it was this um, completely bespoke site built on Perl script that didn't have any kind of admin back end or whatever. Like it would literally, if I got an order, it would send me an email with all the order details and then I'd have to type them out like into a, <laughs> a back end slip. It was very... It was pretty, um, yeah, it was pretty early days as far as online goes. So, yeah, I really just had to, like, go through the yellow pages because it was the yellow pages back then and try and find somebody that could build me a shopping website. And there were very few agencies that even could back then. Mm, it was thing. And yeah. what, do you remember when you got your first sale and how that felt? <sighs> you know, I don't actually remember that moment. Um, it was probably my mum. Because <laughs> um, I think she she kind of felt sorry for me. I think my family all thought I was a bit I was a bit nuts. When certainly not from a business background at all. Um, but the hardest thing actually in the early days was trying to get brands to sign on. Because of course, when you you know you, I mean, a twenty one year old with no, no experience and no reputation and no connections or anything and here's me rocking up to these multinational beauty companies going, hey, I'm going to revolutionise the beauty industry and they were, nobody was really keen to get on board, oddly. Uh, so I pretty much had to just go around you know, and beg until I found the sort of two teeny tiny brands and neither of them exist anymore but it was like, okay, right, just please will somebody take my money so that I can get a product on my website. Because you can't build a shopping website that doesn't have any products on it. Once you had those couple of brands, did, did then other brands see the potential of the website and think, oh, I want to get on there? Or was it like a hard slog to get everyone else on there following it? Um, look, still a hard slog. So I only had two at first and then I went back to everybody that said no and I think five more said yes, but it was still all tiny ones. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, then I have seven and then you go back to everybody else again until you get a couple more or, you know, something something that was sort of the next level up. I think um, the first one, I think it was probably Bloom Cosmetics was probably the first one that I got that anybody had ever heard of. Uh, but the first, the first major brand, like the first brand that anybody would actually know, like in terms of being a big, you know, department store brand or whatever, was um, Clarins in about two thousand six. Okay. So it took a while. That was like six years of yeah. nothing. 
<laughs> yeah so in those initial years like what was because yeah. a lot of um, the she mentors members are just starting out in business so they're either thinking yeah. about an idea or potentially they're just starting they might be in their first one or two years how many yeah. years was it before it was a profitable company and like what was that first couple of years like in in business were you like bootstrapping and can you yeah. talk through that Look, I guess, um, yeah, absolutely bootstrapping. So the only money I had was $12,000 that I borrowed from my boyfriend's dad, who wasn't an especially wealthy guy. He was um, running a motel out near the airport in Keelor. And um, I just, you know, some had pitched him my idea and he um, handed me the check and said, look, good luck I think this will be a good learning experience for you <laughs> but that was it like that was all the money I had and that was that all went on the website and stock there's nothing left really for anything else I couldn't pay myself so I actually lived off because I was still studying I lived off of old study for the for the first probably two years um and so that was a pretty lean existence um, yeah, pretty much just living off those meagerang noodles and baked beans for a couple of years. Um, so it was probably two years in that you would say the business was profitable in the sense that it could pay me a wage to survive on. Um, but aside from that, I mean, it just kind of had to be profitable every year because I wasn't funded. So, you know, you had to be generating enough enough cash flow to go on there wasn't a pot of cash that I was sitting on so I bootstrapped for a long time um the first investment I actually took was in 2014 um and that was when we sold a 25% share to Woolworth that was the first money we ever took so it was completely bootstrapped up until then which um look I think bootstrapping is a it, you know, it's on the whole, it's a good thing because you have to, you know, to do it until you really find that product market fit, like to the point where you're like, okay, there's some momentum here, but the lack of cash is holding me back or I really just need to actually make an investment. You know, when you start to get that feeling of, of being held back, um, but you know that you've got customers and you know that the idea works is when you should sort of look to get some investment or get some money in to scale it. Um but probably not before then because you probably just spend it on the wrong things anyway, right? Mm. Um, I think I probably waited a bit too long to, mm. to get that investment. I think it was something that well, it was something that, was, that I was very nervous about, but also to just actually doing the deal. I really didn't anticipate how long that would take. Um, doing the deal with Woolies took 14 months. And so that was like I'd really I hadn't I hadn't kind of factored that into mm. you know my my timelines of when I would need the money and was that the turning point then do you think when you got funding was that when things started to really explode or was that just part of the process yeah look I mean there are there are a lot of things um there are a lot of things that happened so it was it was that sort of momentum of um customers being ready for it in terms of people actually getting why you would want to buy beauty online because it's just, I mean even in the very early days people were like oh no online shopping why would you want to do that um so it was it needed to be that point where customers are really ready for it where the brands are also really ready for it too because we just didn't have the product selection before then um and then to getting that money in at that time 
just kind of took some of the constraints away. So we were able to actually buy as much inventory as we needed. We were able to get a few new hires on in advance. We were able to do some really major upgrades to the website and we're actually able to invest some money in marketing, which I'd never really had a marketing budget before. So the whole business had for the first 14 years, really just been run on the sniff of an oily rag. And, you know, you can get very creative when you have no money, um, which is, you know, which is a good thing. Um, But at a certain point it does. I I knew that the business was never going to get any bigger unless we actually made that big leap. And so I'm glad. I'm Mm. glad that we did that. And do you think um, for people starting out, do you think – expanding your team or expanding or like investing in your business through advertising, which, which goes first? Cause I think this is a really tricky one. Some people think, Oh, I need more people so I can actually scale. And other people think I just need to advertise the business. Do you have any, I, I feel like it really depends on your business. Um, like it just, it just really depends. <laughs> so there's, I don't think there's a good answer. And, and the right answer is probably, well, Maybe you need to do a little bit of both. Um, I think where some people get bogged down is that if you don't have a good product market fit or your your product or what you're doing isn't making sense to your customers. So, for instance, if you look at, say, your website conversion rate and is really low even for the traffic that you do get, advertising is not going to fix that. It's actually just going to accentuate it. Um, and so advertising is, is the thing that you need to do when it's like, oh, hey, you know, I can see that everybody that I actually managed to get to my website says this is genius and, and loves it. And then great. Well, you want to, you know, you've got a really good converting funnel there. And so yes, you'd want to spend money to, to tip more people into it. But if you've, you know, advertising doesn't always solve a sales problem. Um, so sometimes what you actually need to do, and, and this is when you might choose people, is to say, right, well, what I actually need to do is fix certain things about my product or my service um, because the feedback I'm getting from customers is they need more of this or less of that or the price is too expensive or I can't get the service I need or, you know, whatever it is. But, yeah, advertising is not always a silver bullet, I think, that perhaps people might think it is. Mm. Yeah, it's a tricky yeah. one to manage. And with your yeah. team, did you? How many people are in your team now versus when it started, and how quickly did it grow? Oh, uh, I got my first employee. So my partner joined me in the business in two thousand and two. So that was sort of two years in. We could actually afford to sort of pay both us then, and he was able to quit his job, which was kind of keeping us afloat. Um, up until that point, we got our first employee proper in 2005. Um, and we now have, I actually don't know how many, it's over 100. 100 really? Something, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. How does that make so, you feel to like see how far you've come? I know it's been, like you said, 14 years, but are you so proud? Yeah. You know, it's a really funny thing. I think it's something that's a bit broken in most entrepreneurs' mindsets or maybe this is what makes us successful, but you don't actually spend a lot of time turning around and looking back on it. Um, it's kind of a thing where you're, you know, you're always looking at the horizon and it seems just as far away as it ever did because <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, always, that's always what you're moving towards. That's really, really a bad habit. 
Um, but yes, if I actually stop and think about it, then yeah, that is that is a cool thing. Um, I think this is something happened. Oh, maybe maybe six or six months or so ago. Maybe maybe a little bit longer, and um, and it was one of those kind of things that really did make me realise how far we'd come. And this can sound really odd, but it was a fire drill. So there we were, you know, sitting, working away in the office and then all of a sudden someone, you know, wearing a fire fire marshal hat and honking a horn came around saying, right, this is a fire drill, everybody needs to file out onto the thing. And I was like, I didn't know anything about this. We have fire marshals, you know, <laughs> who knew? All of these systems are starting to happen in my business and I didn't even know about it and <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, we're we're like a proper business now. You're a proper business. Yeah. You have over 100 employees. That's, that's amazing. I know. It's a thing. It's great. And it's yeah, an so inspiration to other people. And I know, like you said, it's you don't often look back and see how far you've come. But for people no. looking at you, you know, we're thinking, oh, wow, like, you've done such an amazing job with your business. Um, so yeah. I run uh, events in Melbourne, as you know. Um, yeah. And in those events, I always ask our speakers to kind of share uh, the highs and the lows of starting a business. Because as you would know, there are plenty sure. Um, do you remember or can you think of like your your best moment today and maybe your worst moment today look there's probably too many of each to count (laughs) or to pick one out um look uh oh gosh I, I really did have some quite crushing rejections at the start from brands especially um I mean the people you know most people were sort of nice about it but there are a lot of people who would not nice about it and basically told me I was an idiot and my idea was stupid and that I just sort of basically offended them and wasted their time by even approaching them. And so when you get a lot of those in a row, it's pretty, it's pretty soul destroying. Um, How did you I get over that me, Someone else asked me that recently. They're like, what, what made you go on from that? And you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I think it must be some sort of inner stubbornness there somewhere where if somebody tells me no, then it just kind of, it makes me really furious, but also more determined to prove them wrong. Yeah. Again, probably not a good character trait, but there it is. Um, so yeah, there were there were some pretty were some pretty bad moments there. We also had some pretty some pretty awful moments when the business started to scale. And I think one year we went from a team of twelve to a team of about thirty, and all of our processes broke, particularly around hiring and and managing people. And there was you know there was some pretty awful. Yeah, you made made a couple of bad hires, and there was some pretty nasty stuff that happened around then. That was that was that was not fun, and that's kind of the moment where you realise that you know, because before that we'd we'd been a really nice, neat, and sort of tightly knit little family, and then all of a sudden, you know, when conflict comes into that, and that was that that's a big thing to kind of get your head around is um, having you know having to recognise the fact. Well, actually, no, it's you know it's not a family and you do need proper processes to manage things. And that if we don't keep an eye on our culture as we grow, then things could actually get pretty toxic. Um, and so that was, but that was, again, a re- it was a really good opportunity um, because, you know, out of that came the process of working out, okay, well, what were our values as a company? What kind of company do we want to be? Um, and that's actually been something that's just been immensely valuable. And I think is what makes a door a good place to work and a and a high performing company now is having having gone through that stuff. So basically anything that bad happens, you know, there's something good comes out of it at some mm. point. 
Um, so it's all, you know, it's all learning experiences. Um, in terms of the highs, oh, look, honestly, so many. And I mean, you know, the, whenever you, you win awards and stuff, that's pretty exciting. Um, I think the, the first, the first really major one that we won was probably not till 2010 and that was the Telstra Business Women's Award and for me that was honestly really overwhelming because you go 10 years without anybody giving you a, a performance review or patting you on the head or telling you you did a good job and so you just learn to survive without any positive feedback at all aside from you know what you can actually see in your accounts and and anything you might get from customers but you know you, to go to go all of that time and then all of a sudden win something big was actually really overwhelming. Um, so that was that was pretty great. You obviously are getting recognised for what you've done and what you've built over the years. What do you reckon about you personally sort of made you what you are now? Um, oh, look, I think that probably the, the sort of stubbornness and the tenacity to honestly to just keep going, I think that's that's such a big chunk of it for any entrepreneur is to, you know, you're going to get really knocked around through this journey. Like that, that's going to be a thing that happens and whether, whether you can let that happen, but also keep going and find ways around the things um, that get in your way, I think is, is a really important thing. Um, I think having, having a real focus or having having a purpose, like having something that I was trying to achieve in terms of, you know, empowering women as beauty consumers and, and you know, kind of taking back this industry for ourselves rather than it being, you know, the sort of thing where, um, you know, these, these big companies run by men are kind of trying to sell us stuff by making us feel bad about ourselves and to go, you know, I actually want to change that. Um, so to have to have that kind of vision and the thing that you're aiming at I think help to keep you on track um and I think also too being willing to you know try and take your own ego out of it and say hey well you know I need to my 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 team are actually the best asset I have here and I'm just one person I cannot do it without them it's not possible um and being willing to kind of get past yourself and listen to people um which you know I, nobody's perfect but I, I do try <laughs> and trying to trying always to to get better at that um and to because I mean in the end you know you can't you you literally cannot do it without your team um and so for my team to believe in me I need to believe in them mm. I also read that yeah. you, since you've been more active on LinkedIn talking about uh, women in business, particularly that your yeah. business and career success has sort of really grown exponentially. Um, and yeah. I love that. I love that you're out there speaking about these kind of a, these kind of things. And I just wondered if you could talk to that a little bit. Like, what did you notice when you started putting yourself out there and talking about this on LinkedIn? Um, it's really been interesting. I guess I kind of. For me, it was it was a thing that where I just sort of reached the limits of what I really felt I could tolerate quietly and nicely. Um, and look, part of having to get anywhere in business is you know knowing when you need to keep your mouth closed um, because there's, you know, there's inevitably a lot of crap that you have to deal with, and sometimes it's best to just you know sort of suck it up. But 
Um, but, you know, I guess I'd kind of reached my tipping point. It was when Trump got elected and um, I just thought, you know what, I can't be quiet about this anymore because this makes me so furious. And I also recognised too that, look, I don't have a job, you know. I don't have an employer who can get upset with me. Um, you know, we recently bought a shares back from Woolworths as well, so I couldn't upset anybody there. And I thought, look, it is going to be easier for me to talk about this than it is for other people. So I think that means I actually have a responsibility to do it because provided I don't upset my customers, um, there's no consequence. So I thought, well, the worst thing that will happen is that people will abuse me on Twitter or I won't get invited to stuff anymore. I thought, yeah, I can live with that. Um, so, yeah, it, and it's a funny thing. I, I do think it is a really strange thing that happens when you decide to, um, you know, kind of live and speak from the heart, you know, without wanting to sound um, dippy. <laughs> you know, a thing happens when you decide to really um, – to really be your authentic self and particularly in a way where you fight for the things that are important, you know, not just about being driven by your own needs and wants, but for the things that are really important and not just for you, but, you know, for your daughters and your friends and, you know, and your mums and your sisters and, you know, for everybody else saying, right, I'm, I'm going to stand out in front and I'm going to take one for the team because this matters. Um, and yeah, I guess the, the blowback that I expected didn't, really happen I mean you know apart from a little bit of Twitter abuse <laughs> that's kind of a thing with Twitter um you know it's, it's actually you what you what you find is that um you know that there's people that that resonates with and and um I'd certainly found that even even in terms of you know, the, the business benefits to Adora, the people that we were able to attract to the business because they're like, you know what, I really like what you're talking about and I like the fact that you're talking about it. Um, I want to come and work for you. Wow, okay, that's really neat. That's how I found you um, on LinkedIn because I came across one of your posts. I think it was talking about um, maternity leave and you're offering the same like paternity leave. Yeah or you know yeah. if you're a man or a woman and I came across his post yeah. and I read it and I thought I love what you're saying I think this is great and I was like oh, I've got to connect with this woman and I'd love her to speak at one of my yeah. events or obviously now on the podcast yeah. and that yeah. does attract a certain kind of person doesn't it and like it, and like you said people want to come and work for your company and actually putting yourself in front of your brand I think is doing it yeah. favors like you Look, to put your values to put your values up front um, is a is a challenging thing, and I think it's something that a lot of bigger corporates really have a hard time with. I mean, if you look at you know the big supermarkets flipping and flopping on the whole plastic thing, I mean, for goodness sake, you know, just do it do it because it's important and because it's the right thing. Don't just you know anyway. Um, <laughs> But yeah, but it's, it's it's easier. It's easier for me. I get that because it's just like, well, you know what? It's my business, and um, it's between me and my partner. We're the only two shareholders, so you know, <laughs> what's the worst that can happen? Mm-hmm. I think it's great. So yeah, yeah, it's really great. So just yeah. going back quickly to e-commerce. Um, yeah. Some tips for someone who is selling their product online. What are like your top? Sure. What's the best return on investment for you? as an e-commerce manager. So for, for the e-commerce sites that I manage, it's AdWords and email marketing. Those are the two things that really drive revenue. Sure. What do yep. you experience? Um, yeah, look, search search both 
or get a can paid um, is great. Obviously, I, I mean, I prefer to invest as much as I can in our owned platforms. Um, because, you know, and so that's, so that's really email and your own website. Um, obviously anything else, you know, if you're doing search, then well, you're, you're a hostage to Google. And if they decide to change the rules on you tomorrow, then you're really not in control of that. And look, likewise to social. I mean, social is pay to play too these days. Um, so invest most in your own platforms, but yeah, look, search still works really well for us. Um, increasingly we're finding um, some things that work on on social too, particularly around amplifying content, um, you know, creating creating pieces of content that are relevant and useful for our customer. I think, you know, you, you've got to first, you know, if you always keep in mind what adds value for my customer, what would be what would be useful to her? What is she looking for? How can I help her? Any marketing effort that comes from that at its heart is going to work better than anything else rather than just how can I sell more stuff. It's like, no, well, can I, you know, is she looking for a particular thing? Can I help her find it? Um, does she need to be able to compare all the different brands of hair straighteners, for instance, or, um, you know, does she need to know how to, you know, this matte liquid lipstick thing, like does she need to know how to, how to make that work for her and for her skin tone? Um if, if, you're, if your goal is always to add value to your customer, that's always the stuff with the best ROI. Mm, I agree. And I think when yeah. you visit your website, it's clear because you've got like free express shipping and you kind of overcome all the hurdles that an online shopper might have. It's like, oh, the shipping's yeah. You guys offer it for free. I noticed that yeah. when I bought the ordinary products that I that I bought oh, from yeah. your site, um, I got like an email like saying, oh, you might like these other products that were really relevant. And that yeah. was really interesting. I think, do you do quite a bit around loyalty? Um, yes, not in the sense of sort of loyalty programs with points and, and all that sort of thing, because I don't actually think that's what drives loyalty. Um, if you look at some of, you know, globally, the, the brands with the strongest loyalty, like um, Apple, for instance, they don't even have a loyalty program, you know. I think real loyalty comes from, providing an amazing service and an amazing product every single time. I mean, obviously, if you can solve your customers' needs better than anybody else, well, why wouldn't they be loyal to you? Um, so for us, loyalty is really more around being relevant for all of our customers. Um, and so that's about making sure that they have all the information they need, but not too much of information that they don't. And um, look, we, we have a really big product range now, but we also recognize that can be a bit overwhelming. And so that's the next part is, is okay, how can we make sure that the moisturizer category is just Ali's moisturizer category? Because what do you need to see all the other ones for you? And you need to see the ones that are going to work for you. Um, and so it's, yeah, loyalty for us is, is really more around product improvement. Mm. So what have you got? It's interesting that you touched on that. It sounds a bit like you're looking at personalization, that kind of thing. Are you, what kind of exciting plans have you got for the next sort of 12 months, do you think? Oh, well, that'd be telling. But um, <laughs> Picking your no, look, I mean, I, I, think, um, I think everybody wants, uh, you know, the, the goal really of online should be to provide a better experience than what you can get in store. 
Um, and so that's really where we're trying to focus is going, okay, right, well, if a customer walks into, you know, Myra David Jones, for instance, and says, right, find me the perfect moisturiser, how, how are they actually going to achieve that? That's something that we could achieve. Um, and so it's, you know, for us, it's really all about answering that question for the customer is, you know, what, what's the right product for me? Um, something people ask me a lot is, oh, well, what, what's the best skincare or what's the best makeup? And it's like, well, you know what? It totally depends because what I like might not be what you like. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, everybody's skin is different and, and everybody has sort of particular preferences. You know, do you like something that has, you know, a beautiful flowery scent to it or do you like it to have no smell at all? Like, every, you know, everybody's got different preferences and that's, that's all okay. Um, and the, the real, the key for us and that, that real driving factor is to make sure that for all of our customers that that whole cosmetic graveyard under the sink in your bathroom, that that just goes away because it's just, you know, you get the right thing. You get the right thing every time. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I do have a cosmetics graveyard under my <laughs> in my bathroom and in my bedroom yep yeah yeah yep we all do yep. um so just gonna think about wrapping up but how do you stay motivated do you listen to podcasts do you read books what kind of thing helps you um oh look I yeah, I don't know I actually don't find motivation that much of an issue because I like what I do and my team is always coming up with really new exciting things I actually get a lot of motivation from the ideas that come from the team like I find that tremendously exciting to see people in your business coming up with ideas that you never even thought of that are really cool um that's that's pretty exciting for me um I so I read for pleasure mostly Mm. um so I like I like fiction mostly I, I like um, what did I finish this reading? Uh, the Underground Railroad by um, Colton Whitehead. Um, actually, I did read a really good business book um, earlier in the year by Ben Horowitz called The Hard Thing about hard things. Um, and I think that's a really good read for anybody who is in the midst of that entrepreneurial journey themselves um, because it really does. And this is, this is, you know, written by someone who's a tremendous success story, you know, sold their company for over a billion dollars. But all of the stuff that they went through to get there, I find that quite heartening to know that everybody, everybody has had to go through really difficult stuff and things that kept them up at night and things where they nearly went under. Um, I think that's really great. And it's also got like really good, quite concise tips and advice in it as well. I like that. Um, there's an NPR podcast called How I Built This that I really like that has really cool entrepreneurial stories. I listened to one recently. It was um, Mariam Nafisi who built um, Gloss. Is it Gloss.com? Yeah, well, like one of the first e-commerce sites. Um, in the US and that was that was really cool to listen to because so much of the stuff that she went through was exactly the same as me mm-hmm. um, that was nice. one final thing like if you could share some advice that maybe you wish you'd known about or someone had shared with you to female entrepreneurs people just starting out what would that be um, the thing that I would particularly share with female entrepreneurs is that you don't need to do this by yourself um, that, you know, that there are other people also doing this and that their experiences can help you and that you need to get yourself a network. You know, you need to find 
find your tribe, find your people. Honestly, I've come across so many female entrepreneurs who are doing really well and they have no idea how well they're doing because they're comparing themselves to everybody else's success story. Like, oh, love, you know, no, you're doing great. It's just, this is, this is the early days and, you know, people just, people need help. Um, and there's so much of it. There's so much of it out there now. Like there's so much more around for startups and, and early stage businesses than absolutely than there was when I was starting out. So take advantage of all of that and make sure you actually make time to get out and go to things and meet some people. Cause honestly, it just, it makes you feel so much better. And, um, it really is, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so you've got to do things that will kind of, you know, nourish you in that journey and, and keep you afloat because it's really hard otherwise. Mm, I love that. Yeah. That's such good advice. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, so I think we're going to wrap up there. Do you want to just tell people where they can find out more about you and Adore Beauty? Sure. Well, obviously you should go to adorebeauty.com.au and you should go and buy some cool stuff. Um, you can connect with me on LinkedIn if you just look me up, Kate Morris. Um, and you can also follow me on Instagram where I'm Kate Adore Beauty and on Twitter where I'm Morris underscore Kate. Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to speak with us. Like I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Super fun. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. I thought Kate made a really good point at the end there about finding your tribe. So if you're building a business and you may be experiencing those highs and lows that Kate talks about, please know that you don't have to do this on your own. There are so many other women going through the exact same thing as you. So if you are in Melbourne, I would love to see you at one of our upcoming events. We can have a glass of wine, listen to some incredible speakers and meet other women going through the same thing. Uh, They're really good fun. You can check them out at shemantours.com.au. And if you're not in Melbourne, you can still sign up and join the community because after each event, we send out replays, speaker presentations, tips and advice. So there's, there's plenty going on. We're also on Instagram at SheMentors and if you like the podcast, please leave a review and I will catch you next time.